Kelly Spears, and this is The Dirt, where we dig deep with those helping to feed the world. Episode 15, Michelle Miller. So today I have the honor to sit down with Michelle Miller, uh, otherwise known as Farm Babe on lots of the social media platforms, if you know her by that. Michelle is also a columnist for Ag Daily. Um, She lives in Iowa where they raise cattle and sheep and crops and um, has really become quite an influential uh, advocate, if you want to use that word. Um, And honestly... As I was kind of creating your bio, Michelle, there was so much stuff and so many cool things that I found that I was like, you know what, I think the best thing to do is just kind of put out a few short statements and then kind of give you the floor to really dive in and explain, um, you know, who you are and and what you're all about. So if you wouldn't mind kind of doing that to get things rolling here. um, Yeah. Start there. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, yeah, so like you said, I, um, I'm on a farm in Iowa, but I'm, I'm actually in Alaska right now. So I wanted to take advantage of this beautiful background. I'm um, up here visiting uh, friends and we're going to tour some flower farms and learn about blueberries. And so I'm going to learn about uh, agriculture in Alaska this week. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, so I try to be an advocate for agriculture from all walks of life, all different parts of the world. Uh, so I do a lot of traveling, um, well before COVID, right? So, um, to come to Alaska was the first time I had been on a plane in like five months. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm trying to take advantage of the downtime because BC before COVID, I was constantly on a plane. I do a lot of public speaking, always at different conferences. And so uh, it's been nice to have a little bit of downtime, I guess, but still trying to get back out there and um, see different parts of the world and the country and, uh, and, and learn about agriculture in in different parts of the world. So here we are. Um, But yeah, between writing, speaking, I work as an influencer and uh, work on the farm as best I can when I'm back in Iowa, um, just trying to be uh, as uh, just give agriculture and science a bigger voice. Right. And that um, is one thing that I think when I, when you agreed to this, I was like, okay, yes, this is awesome. I think you're going to kind of probably show a little bit of a different perspective than maybe some of the people that I've kind of interviewed and talked to before. Um, Real quick though, I do want to touch on the fact that you are from Iowa. Iowa uh, obviously um, just had a huge storm come through that was extremely devastating to the area. Uh, were you guys impacted by that hugely or how did things end up on your in your area? Um, fortunately, we were okay in our part. Um, the major damage was like a couple hours south of us. Um, so we just had some strong winds and rain. Uh, we did get like a lot of our corn was flattened here probably maybe about a month ago. We got hit pretty hard with uh, some pretty strong winds. It's pretty standard for Iowa, unfortunately, you know, like this time of year, it's just you get a lot of tornadoes and lots of rain. And um, yeah, it's kind of a bummer in that sense. But uh, yeah, hearts go out to everybody that was affected. I mean, there was parts of Iowa that had like over 110 mile per hour winds. So it was just crazy. But as far as us, we're doing all right. Well, good. That's that's good to hear. Um, <clears throat> so kind of to switch gears and jump right in here. So you have in lots of your articles and kind of in your story, you mentioned that you first started in Hollywood and were actually really <laughs> deep in the fashion side of things. And then, um, you know, were very bought in too, to kind of the whole, um, maybe mindset is probably the best word to use in terms of that kind of lifestyle. And then obviously now you're on the complete flip side of that, uh, advocating for agriculture. So how did that change and how did all that happen? 
Yeah, I went to, I grew up in Wisconsin, but I moved to Los Angeles for college uh, back in 2001. Um, and I lived in LA, I lived in Chicago downtown for seven years. Um, you know, I worked in fashion for a while. I worked for Gucci on Rodeo Drive. Um, my degree was, I had a fashion background from the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. So um, fashion um, and design was was really my jam. Um, and then throughout my adult life, you know, I, I was probably in my, it was, I started, started dating a farmer. I met him at a bar in Florida randomly. And uh, uh, that was, I moved to Iowa in 2014 to be with him permanently. Um, and so when I moved from the city to the farm life, I just realized that basically everything I thought I knew about agriculture was wrong. And so that's the whole reason I started my platform was because, you know, I had seen movies like Food Inc., mm -hmm. uh, which were super influential for people like me, you know, living in downtown Chicago. I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. Like I have to only buy organic. I'm poisoning my families like GMOs and Monsanto and chemicals. It's just the devil. Like everything that I, that I believed, um, I realized was basically just a bunch of bullshit <laughs> and food Inc is not true at all. And so the more I started connecting with and learning from real farms, farmers, the more I realized like, gosh, you know, this isn't fair that so many people are, are fed this misinformation. So I debunk a lot of myths surrounding like factory farming and GMOs and pesticides. And that's really kind of been the angle that I've taken is just to bring um, science and facts to the forefront of the discussion compared to just marketing fluff and like food companies and people trying to change the narrative um, to suit an agenda that isn't based in science or fact. Right. And uh, the, one of the things, like you said, uh, applying the science aspect to all of it um, is something I think that gets lost a lot in the shuffle of things. Um, I always say I like facts because they're harder to argue with, um, but having the science to back it up is is really the vital key in that because I think when you're able to produce research and numbers, it makes people pay attention a little bit more, I think, um, in terms of what's actually going on. Uh, but with that being said, you, um, how do you, you know, <laughs> I think agriculture maybe doesn't do the best job of telling their story sometimes. Um, and the science aspect of all of it is, um, you know, my dad and I always <clears throat> joke, it's not, the, it's not the sexy part of agriculture. Um, how do you kind of keep up with that and keep things still appealing to people to kind of the everyday consumer? Right. Yeah, I think that's so important. And you come across people in the sciences like this all the time that, you know, I like to take what the work behind the scientists and, and make it digestible for the average person to understand, you know? And it happens all the time when you meet a scientist, right? You say, so what do you do? And then they give an elevator pitch that you're like, okay, so what does that mean? Right. And then they go into it at the next level. And sometimes you have to chip away. Like you have to ask like five or six questions before you really get, oh, okay. So you, you make plants better for people, right? Like, it's right. like, like, let's, let's just talk about like, oh, you help create seedless watermelons. Cool. Right. Now that, now that pertains to me as a consumer, right? right? So we have to remember that in agriculture, the average person does not know what a combine is. They don't know the difference between a cow and a heifer and a steer. They don't know what a soybean looks like, soybean field looks like. So we have to remember to think about all these consumers aren't generally speaking people aren't like stupid they just don't get to understand the other side they're only exposed to one side of it and so um you know just take what people know remember that analogies work really well um 
you know, like my friend Kevin Folta, who's a professor of horticulture science at University of Florida, he does a great job of that. And when you try to learn about genes and DNA and all that stuff, he talks about, you know, the the text in a book and the book in a library. You know what I mean? Like thinking about ways to help people understand what is the difference between, like, what do these terms mean? You know? Um, And I always talk about that, you know, with pesticides, you think about how we as humans are living, you know, we need bug spray, we need sunscreen, we need medicine, we need nutrients, food, plants need that too. And so I think so many people get lost in like, well, we can't have any chemicals. But it's like, well, hold on. Like you and I need chemicals to survive. Chemicals does not mean it's a bad thing. We just have to put it in the context of like plant, you know, like crop protection products is the way that we use it, right? That we have to protect our plants and our animals just like we would protect protect ourselves. Um, so different ways like that, that you can make it more understandable for the average person, you know? Right, yeah. Kind of breaking it down to, breaking it down to build them up almost. Um, from right. Like- understanding level I guess really um and I think that that sometimes can be challenging too because as agriculturalists we have this idea of okay it makes sense for us why does it make why does it not make sense for you so um the challenging aspect of that sometimes to to break it down and um start from start from the ground up really for sure pun intended right (laughs) exactly (laughs) Um, so you mentioned that you enjoy myth busting and that's, I think one of your, your biggest things, if you kind of read through all of your media and articles and all that kind of stuff. Um, and with that, you focus a lot on food labels and GMOs. Could you maybe go into that as far as, you know, what does it look like for you when you decide, okay, I'm going to write about, uh, you know, myths about food labels today or myths about GMOs. How do you kind of, what's your mindset to kind of attack that, that article or break it down, like you said, for, for the common consumer? Yeah, you know, I get a lot of inspiration actually from my followers um, or people, um, my friends, people that um, if I get like any sort of pushback in my comment section or um, I read misperceptions that people have and I'm like, oh, wow, you know, that's, yeah, that's true. That's, you know, I wonder how many other people share that thought. I should write about that and like debunk that, you know. Um, So for example, I wrote an article debunking um, like egg labels, right? And then somebody in the comment section said, you should really debunk uh, certified Angus beef. And I was like, you know what? That's so true because for years people have said, oh, you know, uh, as long as they have a speck of black, they can be Angus or they can be Holstein and still be Angus. And they can, uh, you know, so so as long as the herd is over 50% black, you can call them Angus. And I was like, mm, I don't know. I'm kind of skeptical of some of those claims, you know? So, but, but when you read the comment section and then it turned into this long thread of my followers, like kind of arguing with each other where one person says, oh no, that's not true. And the next person says, yes, it is. And then they go back and forth. And I'm like, you know, I never really thought of that before. I'm going to have to find the real facts. So it's, it's just constant wanting to learn. Um, and just going to the source, right? I mean, I think that's the biggest problem is you should never just Google something and take that face value. Um, you have to really like dive into the real experts and, and figure out the facts from the people that do it for a living as opposed to just a random um, search. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think um, a lot of it stemmed from my own curiosity and changing my mind on, you know, like when I learned organic still used pesticides, I was like, what? Yeah. Like all those years I was spending money on organic because I thought it meant pe- pesticide free and pure and clean and all this stuff. And it's like, no. And then you learn the real facts and you're like, what? And so I just wanted to like fight with my wallet, fight back with my wallet and, and, uh, just help people decipher fact from fiction, you know? 
help people with that critical thinking. Yeah, right. And that's where I think there's a little bit of lacking sometimes is um, that, that critical thinking that you just mentioned. With, you know, you just said you go straight to the source, which um, I even have found, you know, sometimes I'll Google something to get research for a post or something like that. And the first six things are either not true or activists kind of fighting back against what the truth and reality trying to kind of portray this different picture that's not accurate and so I think when you're trying to get that factual information out there it's still challenging because I know that's not right so if I can if I search it and that's the first thing that pops up what about these other people who really are trying to get information and that's what they're seeing bingo yep a hundred percent Uh, And you can go into Google and you can like report something, right? Like if you do a Google search and it's like, you know, like the Guardian is one of the worst sources for information when it comes to animal agriculture. Like the Guardian received a $900,000 grant from vegan animal rights activists. And so pretty much anytime that anybody uses the Guardian as a source, like my eyes just roll all the way back in my head, but people don't know, right? And so, but you can like tap on the upper right-hand corner of the link and, and report it to Google saying this isn't true or like report fake news, stuff like that. So you can do that which I think helps but yeah people just have to realize you know you have to google the author understand who their background is you know who they are do they have an agenda um there's so many things behind it to uh to kind of help people say you know how do you know what a credible source is you know absolutely and I think your point of going directly to the source is really the best best way to do that and uh it's important for people to like you and myself to to be those that uh middleman I guess really between the source and the common consumers. That being said, For though, sure. I know you get to travel a lot and visit different facilities and farms. Um, I always wish that you could just bring people with you because I think it would make things so much easier and so much clearer. And now with technology, it is making things a little bit easier, but kind of across the board, what's something that you, when you go to these places, you just, you see, and it's like the one thing you could just like paraphrase to everybody, like, you know, this is, this is how it really is type of uh, statement, maybe. Yeah, I think the biggest thing I see is debunking the myths behind factory farming, like that big farms does, does not mean bad. It's usually the other way around, right? The biggest farms usually have the most regulations, they have the most uh, environmental standards, uh, highest standards, they have the most oversight, you know, some of the largest farms that are going to say like a McDonald's or something like that, for example, right? Like they have all these third-party audits that go to make animal welfare checks. Um, There's so much science that goes into, you know, like I toured, so I went to Auburn University and toured their poultry science and research uh, departments there and learned about I mean, there's just an insane amount of science that goes behind poultry production, right? Like when you go to Chick-fil-A and you get chicken nuggets or a chicken sandwich, they all have to be uniform, that exact same size, right? And so when you understand the science behind like how they do that and how welfare standards are just so high through the roof, I just want to take everybody with me and just like show them the science and like have them walk through barns and see how well animals are cared for, right? Like, I think people think, oh my God, they're in a little cage and they can't move. And it's like, yeah, but that's not really true. And like, even when I toured some of these egg farms, for example, you know, you open the cage doors, like they don't want to come out. Like they're pretty comfortable and everything's there for a reason, right? Like they're in a cage to protect themselves because the research shows that that's how you get the healthiest, best chickens with the cleanest eggs and the best production and all of these things. And 
you know, the more comfortable an animal is, the better they'll produce. So this isn't about like, um, I mean, is it about profits? Sure. Like, let's not kid ourselves. It's right. still a business. But at the same time, you can't be profitable if you aren't taking care of your assets. Yes. Like a, a, a guy who builds a table can't scratch his table up and sell it, right? Like, right. It's the same with animals and livestock. You can't sell a sick animal if your eggs are disgusting and misshapen and dirty. Like you can't sell it. So, I mean, it's the same thing. And people just seem to apply that to business. Now, there's nothing wrong with small farms either, right? I mean, I think people have this romantic imagery, you know, small family farm, grass fed, you know, all that stuff. That's amazing too. But they don't always think about the reality of predators. And, you know, I'm in Alaska right now. It's summer, but come January, this place is going to be awful. You don't, I do not want to be an animal outside. Right. <laughs> if I, if I am a pig in Alaska in January, bring my ass inside, please. Right? <laughs> or a free range chicken. You're, you're yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did a, I did a meme once that went pretty viral. It was a picture of a picture of a chicken in a snowbank, and all you could see was his beak poking out of the snow. And it said, <laughs> be free range they said it would be fun they said oh my gosh that's <laughs> so <great>. it's just <laughs> so it's just putting things into perspective for people when it's like look like we all care we all want what's best for animals and the environment and all that stuff it's just putting it in a putting it together in a funny way like a meme right like a goofy video like a goofy post or a storytelling like we just have to um tell the story of agriculture in a way that we want to like speak to others how you want to be spoken to, right? Like right. we have short attention spans. You know, there's a reason why Snapchat and Instagram and all this stuff is is popular because we're busy people. Like let's just do this 10 second snippet to just get to the point. Even I'm good at rambling. Listen to me now. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, easy to, it's, it's easy to ramble, but at the end of the day, it's like, come on girl, just get to the point. <laughs> Um, well, one thing I do want to mention, you mentioned Auburn, uh, poultry science. So I actually work for Texas A&M for the poultry science department. So we're going to have to, Shut up. Up. yeah, I mean, we're going to have to get That's you. Out amazing. To <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. We'd love to see that. Uh, yeah. I live for stuff like that. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, and even, even me, I mean, I have an agriculture background, um, but really had no concept really of the poultry industry until I started working for the department. And even just on a very small scale at our research facility out at the farm, you know, it's just, it's shocking the, the efficiency and the biosecurity and all the regulations that go into it. Um, when people just think we got a bunch of dirty, a uh, bunch of dirty chickens in little tiny cages, and that couldn't be really. Oh, it drives me bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the movie Super Size Me Too? Oh my goodness, yes. I think I had to actually watch it for a health class. <laughs> oh God. Sixth grade. Yeah, and see, and that's and that's what sucks, right? Like, in my opinion, that's like the biggest place where agriculture drops the ball is like the animals rights activist groups the um you know like the other side of things that aren't spreading truthful information um they're doing these catchy videos they're doing these getting these celebrities um they're spending big buck big bucks like 
changing the narrative. And I feel like uh, the agriculture industry, like the science aspect, we need to do a lot more of that. Like we need to do a lot more Netflix documentaries. We need to go, get a lot more celebrities involved. Um, but we, when we do these films, we just have to make sure that they're like fun and exciting and funny and interesting that everybody wants to watch because people want to learn where their food comes from. But if we're doing it in the same way, we've always done it where you're just telling the story of agriculture where it's like, you know, an old man wearing bib overalls and, you know, the family farm and like, it's beautiful, but it doesn't sell. Right. Like, right. Oh, I'm a fifth generation rancher. No shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Can we, can we tell the story in a funny, interesting, different way? Like, can we, you know, like I always wanted to take like a Geico type of approach, yes. to culture, right? Like, can we sell a product that's friggin' hilarious instead of like labeling the consumer to death? Can we share the can we build a connection for the farmers behind it? Like, I think Culver's is a really good Culver's being thank you farmers, like sharing a lot of that picture during the Thank a Farmer project, like really getting farmers in the forefront of people's minds when they go to eat at Culver's uh, is, is just amazing. And it, but it, it makes you feel good. Like, it makes you feel like you're supporting small family farms and you just feel that connection to your food as opposed to just like, yeah, I got a burger and it was good. Well, what if you're feeling that connection to knowing, feeling like you know where it comes from, that you're, it's, you're just like a, a feel good. It's a, it's a dining experience, you know, right. where it really promotes agriculture and puts farmers at the forefront of the conversation, you know? Right. And I think too, we do a good job of, there's a bee flying around me. So if, oh my if God. I'm looking, if I'm looking around, it's because there's a bee around me. <laughs> okay, well, please don't get stuck. Because of nature. <laughs> I won't. Uh, I can't. <laughs> it, I think, you know, sometimes agriculture likes to talk to other agriculture people. You know, sometimes misery loves company as far as, um, you know, propping themselves up or uh, we may know what's going on. So let's talk about that, but not to get that information out. Um, but I think exactly like you said, finding a creative way to kind of get that information out and um, keep people engaged. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Because I think that's the biggest thing at the end of the day as far as you got to have their attention span in order to get a message across to them. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yep. Speaking of things that catch your attention, um, Burger King lately. <laughs> They released that commercial. Uh, yes. <laughs> what was your initial reaction when you first saw that video? Oh my God, I like threw my phone across the room. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't finish it. I was like, this is bullshit. I was so mad. Bullshit, like pun intended, because it's just like, it, they're talking about reducing methane from cow farts. 97% of methane comes from this end. It was never about farts. And so they got so much wrong factually, scientifically. Like if you're going to talk about beef, can you not show a dairy cow? Like, right. can you not call them cows? Like everything about it was just so wrong. Um, 
Yeah. So, so it took me a while before I could actually choke it down and, and watch the whole thing. Um, and then just showing it to other people and just watching their reactions. Everybody's like, this is so dumb. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. This is so stupid. And they got so much backlash from us in the agriculture community, but the average consumer was like, this is greenwashing. This is virtue signaling. Like vegan, the vegan community was mad because they're like, you're still serving burgers. Like you're not doing anything. And, and so uh, the science was premature, you know, some of the research, the research isn't even published, like it's inconclusive, like it was just so wrong on so many fronts. But I think Burger King wasn't expecting that. I think that they weren't expecting people to fact check. Um, I think they, in hindsight, would have done things a lot differently. Um, and, you know, I kind of heard that straight from the horse's mouth when I had a call with them and, uh, and said, come on out to the farm. Like, if you want to see sustainability and you want to see what we do to help the planet, like, I'd love to show you. And uh, they took me up on it. So they, they flew out uh, last week. And uh, I took some of them to a dairy farm in Wisconsin, showed them. I brought my friend, uh, Bob Powell, who's the CEO of Brightmark. They do methane digesters. Uh, so I had Bob out there to show us, you know, how they turn uh, methane from manure pits into renewable natural gas. So you literally have um, cow manure powering homes, like wow. poop to power. Right. And so if, if you want to reduce methane, that's a really noble goal. Um, but farmers were doing that before it was cool, right? We've been focusing on reducing our environmental footprint for decades. So we did that. Uh, then they came out to my farm the following day. Um, and then we toured a larger scale uh, beef cattle um, uh, like feedlot that afternoon. And so I wanted to showcase uh, a number of different farms with a number of different experts. Um, there were some people I really wanted to be there, but due to COVID, they, they couldn't come out due to travel restrictions. Um, so, but we did have like um, Dr. Dan Thompson from Iowa State joined us uh, on a Zoom call. And um, yeah, just, I had all sorts of great, great people involved, um, but it was just really neat to show them, and, and they were really receptive. They learned a lot. They really appreciated it. Uh, had a camera crew with us for those couple of days, and stay tuned, because it looks like they're going to be doing some work with that video footage and, um, and highlighting agriculture. So, yeah, it went, it went really well. I was so honored and thankful to have them and have them listen to us. Like, and really, and really care, you know, because we care. And I think that was the main thing. Like I do genu genuinely feel that their intentions are good. Right. Um, so it's a good feeling to actually have a dialogue. Right. And that was going to be kind of my next question from all that too, was um, what, what maybe your biggest takeaway from the experience was and what it seemed that theirs um, might've been uh, from everything. Yeah. Yeah, you know, when I was trying to pick their brains, I was trying to give them some ideas on like ways that I think agriculture could use some help in the ag marketing space because Burger King does ads that really push the envelope. We really pride ourselves on as different out of the box. Like as much hashtag menu ad um, offended so many of us, I still gave them so much credit in the sense of like, it was different. It was unique. It was clever. The song was catchy. Boy was tainted. Um, and I was like, can we do that? But just like talk about farmers lift us up. Don't bring right. us down. Right. Um, and so I was trying to like throw out some ideas. They did 
that move forward, they're still going to do reach with this whole month passing or whatever, but they want to run their ads past me before they go public. Um, and then I know they talked to Dr. Frank Mitloner at UC Davis as well. So that is um, the takeaway was like, yeah, we should really be talking to farmers about this before we release that because I don't think that they were expecting or intended for uh, any negativity to come from this. So this was the one thing. Um, I had asked them, you know, I said, where do you source your beef, right? Because I think a lot of people think that they source their beef from South America or whatever. And they said, well, like, we kind of don't really know where it comes from because they just get it from Cargill. And as beef producers, a lot of times we don't know where our beef goes. And I could really tell that it was like a light bulb, light bulb moment, I think, um, with Fernando as the chief marketing officer, Burger King, and myself. You know, we kind of looked at each other with like these, this light bulb where it's like, it's kind of messed up that we don't know where our beef goes. And it's kind of messed up that they don't know where theirs come from. So I think their next thing if I can just get and this is just me talking this isn't like an official statement or anything like right. that from no, them, yeah. if I could if I could like read their body language and like through the conversations we had I think they'd really like to focus on traceability now that would be cool if you want to reduce your carbon footprint go right ahead by getting your beef from right here in your own country rather than shipping it in from god knows where what if it does come from Brazil or Mexico or wherever you know it's like right source it from right here like find out where your burgers come from and highlight those farmers like that would be cool and how cool would it be for like myself as a beef producer to know where it goes where I could say yeah we raise beef for Burger King burgers like it comes from me like that's cool so I think that's something we both really strongly agreed on was uh, traceability um but yeah I mean overall I think they just learned a lot they didn't realize a lot of things you know we 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 talked about, you know, antibiotics and hormones and GMOs and chemicals and organics and, you know, what we do to protect the water and soil. And, oh gosh, we covered so much. It was great. They, they were just like, they were great. I loved working with them. Well, thank you for, um, you know, kind of, uh, not, not taking a bullet, but being the person to kind of show them and say, <laughs> hey, this is, this is what it's really like, and this is how we do things, and this is why we do things. Um, and your yeah. point, the whole traceability side of things, too, I think that's, that'll, that could be huge if that's kind of the, the route that they choose to take from it. Um, like you said, not only from the food and consumer side of things, but also for the producer, um, from a, a pride and self-marketing point as well, um, to know where everything ends up. Yeah. Well, so, like the other thing too, is you look at, you look at the lemongrass thing that they're talking about, right? And their right. whole thing on reducing methane is feeding lemongrass to, to cattle. But um, where does that lemongrass come from? Well, right? That's, like, that's so are you going to exactly ship? That's what I said. <laughs> are you going to ship lemongrass from like Southeast Asia? Like, cause that kind of defeats the purpose of mitigating your carbon footprint. Right? right. And then the cost. So like right now as beef producers, you know, so many farmers are just losing all this money um the market prices are down so much lately and like okay so you're losing money and then you want us to pay how much to feed lemongrass um and then you want us to lose how much more money and it's like and then you're not going to pay us anymore like i just it, it's just if if they want us to do this big initiative corporations like that they should pay the farmer like they said we supply the feed um we'll pay you for it. We'll take care of it. We'll give you an honest, fair price so that you never go under so that they can actually, you want to talk about sustainability. We need to keep our farmers in business by keeping them profitable. So the day that a big corporation like Burger King or somebody would ever step to the plate to be like, 
we're going to work with you and we're going to make sure that you never lose money on these cattle. Right. It should be, there's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to pay a worker $15 an hour to flip burgers, right? Okay, fine. No, no disrespect intended to our fast food workers who are awesome. Um, but how do they get to make all this money and the farmer is taking all the risk and all the hard work and can't even turn a profit? Like it's exactly. so messed up. Exactly. I yeah. think people, people think, you know, farmers, they make a lot of money and all this kind of stuff. Well, there's <laughs> definitely years where it's in not, not breaking even. Um, and right. there's so many risk factors involved in it. And um, it's just, it's crazy to think. Yeah. You, yeah, you can make a good living, but then there's, you know, you take your good years and your bad years. And, right. um, but I also feel like that's one of agriculture's like biggest downfalls is this. It's like, yeah, but that's not the way it should always be. Like we should be fighting for, for fair fairness in our industry um, and keeping farmers afloat. And um, it just breaks my heart to see, to see farmers not be able to make it. Like it's just wrong, you know? So that's one thing I'm really passionate about. I don't know how to solve it, but at least by putting it out there, maybe people, maybe it'll get people's gears turning to like really make the change. I'm not a politician. But uh, dang, it would be nice if we had some that really stood for us and uh, and got us got us all paid properly, <laughs> took for care sure. of us. For sure, uh, I commonly I think um, even personally I use I kind of say you know the biggest um, challenge for agriculture is consumer education. Um, as I'm kind of speaking with people and being exposed to different things my views have changed on that a little bit, but would you agree or disagree with that kind of statement of our biggest challenge is consumer education? Yeah. I mean, I think I would agree with, um, with a lot of that is, um, is bridging the gap between consumers and farmers is so, so very important. Um, and I think that, uh, as an industry, you know, and it's, it's hard, you know, it's like, I, I love fighting for farmers, but I'm one person with no corporate budget. Right. Right. But as far as like the, the, the big, you know, check off, whatever programs, like the, the big guys that are, that are supposed to be fighting for us, you know, it's like, I don't know where all that money goes, but it would be really great if we could get some celebrities and stuff back on board and, uh, and, and work on some movies, you know, to make it interesting because as of right now, um, you know, that's really been our biggest challenge is, is the, the influence coming from vegan animal rights activists and like organic food corporations and celebrities, you know, spreading misinformation. You know, when you have somebody like Natalie Portman or Joaquin Phoenix at the, at the Oscars or the Emmys or whatever, I don't, I don't get into all that stuff yeah. much, but you know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, they have a, they have a huge voice. And with the power of one tweet, a celebrity can change everybody's mind. So we have to get to them first before the activists do. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, I just, I always think back to the nineties, how cool milk was, you know, with the got milk campaign, you know, we had yep. Brett Favre, we had Giselle, we had Kermit the frog. I mean, yep. we, had, we, had, we had anybody and everybody to do the, the got milk campaign. And it was so well done and memorable. Um, you know, we really need to do more like that to make egg cool. Right. Um, just get, get some freaking sexy ass rock stars <laughs> promoting promoting the cotton industry or whatever right. you want to do whatever yeah. it is just please somebody make agriculture like cool <laughs> right yes that needs to be, i think right there there's your there's the new slogan ag is cool or something like that <laughs> well and and i have to give credit to that um when i i think the reason cotton came to my mind is because i interviewed um uh black cotton if you know uh 
uh, Julian. Um, uh, I, I'm trying to think of uh, Julius Tillery. Sorry. Um, he does the whole black cotton and he wants to call himself like the puff daddy of cotton. And so, um, so I had interviewed him and, and he, and he is, he's a really cool guy, but he wants to, um, you know, raise awareness on like black cotton, you know, and he's like a fifth generation, you know, black farmer in the South. And, um, but he's got a really cool story to tell. And, and that was his shtick was he's like, I want to make cotton cool. Um, Puff Daddy cotton. And I was like, that's really freaking badass, you know? And so I always love promoting that message because we need a lot more of that, right? Like um, just celebrities and people that, that want to make our industry sexy. I won't claim to be an expert on that, but there's plenty of creative people out there. I mean, the Burger King guys are a perfect example of that, right? Right. Where it's like, you guys, you think outside the box. I'll give you credit. Yeah. Can we please use can we please use that little mind of yours to like together and help us make egg cool? So that was kind of one of my goals in building this relationship with them. And it's funny, like I'm in Alaska right now and um Fernando, the chief marketing officer of Burger King, you know, when I was talking to him when he was in Iowa, I said, Yeah, I'm getting ready to go to Alaska on Monday and his face just lit up, right? Like he's like, I've been to Alaska three times, it's amazing. Oh my god. Like he texted me yesterday, he's like He's like, have you gone fishing yet? Please send me pictures of your fish. And I was like, oh man, like, so we kind of bonded over the fact that we both love fishing and like, you know, we're, I'm in Alaska. So, um, but you know, just, it, we're people, right? Like we have to get to know each other outside of just, hey, I'm a farmer. Hey, I'm a farmer that's, I've been to 67 countries. I love fishing. I love hiking. I love travel. Like these are the, the stories that we need to be telling other than just, let me tell you about agriculture, but let's get to know each other as friends and as people and build on relationships and go from there. You know what I mean? Yes, for sure. And I think, um, you have done an excellent job in kind of creating, uh, this like cool farm girl yet super successful kind of vibe about you that, um, I think is very, uh, appealing to people, um, wanting to kind of learn more. And then they also feel like they know you and they can, um, trust you with the information that you're giving them too. So, um, I commend you on that and, uh, everything you've done. Oh, thanks. Yes. Uh, yeah, thanks. I love talking to people like you. I love doing stuff like this and getting to know people in our, in our, uh, our world and, um, you know, hopefully getting that out there to people outside of our world as well. You know who does a good example, a good jo- a good job of that is uh, Rice Farming TV. If you if you know Matthew uh, out in yeah. California, yes. he does that. He has a great YouTube channel. Yes. and uh, but he he reached a lot of people outside of agriculture when he did videos around uh, where his wife is from in Brazil, and he did these videos showcasing her little town that went pretty viral in Brazil. And so all of a sudden, all these people were following him because they wanted to watch videos about traveling in Brazil. But then, oh, we're learning about rice farming at the same time. So right. it's, it's stuff like that where you cross over and, uh, and, and help people understand, you know, the person where it's like, whoa, like you like to travel? You've been to Brazil? Dude, cool. Let's talk about that. Right. It's yeah. Like, oh, you, you grow rice. I never even thought about where my rice comes from. That's so cool. Think about agritourism. Everybody loves agriculture. They love agritourism. It's such a destination, especially in the fall. Everybody wants a good fresh apple donut, you know? Right. And it's like okay so let's do that uh with like so much more than just fall apple picking you know what I mean and there is agritourism is amazing yeah it's it's like uh feeding the the toddler macaroni and cheese but trying to figure out how to slide the vegetables in there to uh for the well (laughs) that see perfect there is your advocating um your advocating um analogy that's there's your (laughs) shtick sliding the vegetables in the mac and cheese that's perfect (laughs) 
Uh, well, Michelle, I really appreciate you talking to me and taking time out of your vacation to um, chat about agriculture and um, all of the fun, exciting things that you've been up to lately. Um, where can people find you if they want more, uh, more, more information from you? Yeah, thanks. It's been great chatting with you too. Um, my Facebook page is Farm Babe. You can just search Farm Babe and follow me there. That's where I do a majority of my outreach. I'm also the Farm Babe on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, anything like that. Uh, so my handle is at the Farm Babe. And then my website is just thefarmbabe.com. Um, I've got like a little online store and you can learn a little bit more about what I do there. Read a lot of my articles uh, from agdaily.com that I'm a weekly columnist for going on, gosh, over four years now. Um, I've been writing for them and uh, yeah, I guess that's about it. Thefarmbabe.com there. You can contact me and do all that stuff as well. So yeah. Awesome. Well, Michelle, like I said, thank you again uh, for taking time out of your day and uh, I hope you go catch some good fish and um, well, <laughs> yeah. The blueberries and the flat, the uh, what you said, uh, flowers. Yeah, yes. it's like pe peony. I think that's how I think I'm pronouncing mm -hmm. it right. Jeez, I've never been to like a real large scale flower farm before, so yeah, that's the other thing. I love to travel, but I find that the agriculture part of my travels is always the best part, right? It's like, I always like, I have to squeeze egg in there, you know? It's like, so yeah, I'll be touring some flower farms here, uh, maybe tomorrow, I think we're going, and so I'll be posting all about it, and you can learn where, where your flowers come from, so yeah, it's good stuff. Awesome, well, I look forward to um, catching up on all of that, and uh, I know I enjoyed today, and I hope whoever is listening or watching uh, also got a lot out of it, and we um, will see you with our next Friday feature. Sounds great. Thanks so much. It's great chatting with you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Dirt. Don't forget to follow us on social media at AgChicks and that the visual version of every episode can be found on YouTube on our AgChicks channel. We'll see you all next time.